Welcome to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. Thanks for listening to the Activate podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom. I am your host, Christian, and I am so glad you're with us today. If you're listening uh, through an audio platform somewhere, thanks for being with us. If you are watching through our YouTube platform, uh, welcome. Thanks for being with us today. And I have heard in the recent series of podcasts, we have several small groups at our church whose small group is watching the podcast together and then discussing the Bible content afterwards. So if your small group is gathered around your living room or your basement and you're watching, um, thanks for being with us today. Uh, We're really glad you're with us. We're in a series of podcasts on our Activate platform that are actually connected to a message series at our church, Journey Church International, in Lee Summit, Missouri, in the spring of 2023. Um, If you really want to get the most mileage out of the text that we will be studying in today's podcast in Matthew chapter 19, uh, You're going to want to go to our website, takethejourney.cc, or our YouTube page, and you're going to want to look up the series Broken People, Sexuality, Marriage, and the Gospel of Grace. Very easy on our website, on our top banner. You're just going to go to watch and listen. You're going to drop down to all of our series, and they're listed in alphabetical order. Find the B for Broken People, Sexuality, Marriage, and the Gospel of Grace. Six Sunday morning messages in that series. Uh, We've got five podcasts with that, and we're just on packing everything that we can unpack in this 11 kind of episodes of content between Sunday morning services and the Activate platform on um, broken sexuality, marriage, broken marriage, divorce. Uh, Our next podcast that drops will be on blended families. We'll be interviewing um, kind of an, an expert in the field who's got a national ministry to blended families and his adult daughter on how their family did it well. That will be dropping next week. Today we're in Matthew chapter 19. So again, if you're driving or on the treadmill, you might have to listen to this one twice because it's going to be much more of a Bible study format than just kind of a listening um, session. Uh, and if you're sitting somewhere listening, you're, you're going to want to get your Bible, grab a notebook and a pen, uh, get your coffee, maybe a bottle of water, um, a cup of Diet Coke, and uh, get ready to settle in into Matthew chapter 19. The question we are asking today from Scripture is, what does the Bible say about divorce and remarriage? What does the Bible say about divorce and remarriage, all of that from a text in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to talk about it. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, in Matthew 18, Jesus had been teaching about the kingdom of God that we learned about in Matthew chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Um, In 18, when he had finished saying all those things, he left Galilee, went to the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits 
adultery. So what does the Bible have to say about divorce and remarriage? What does Jesus say specifically about it in Matthew chapter 19? Let's start with the context of this chapter. Uh, It starts with two bad questions that both have two bad motives. Two bad questions that have two bad motives. We know the questions are bad because of the way they were phrased, but they were phrased intentionally to be bad because the motives were bad. The first question was this, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any and every reason? Um, They phrased that in a way that had a little gotcha quality to it uh, because the Pharisees knew that there was nothing really in the law about when to divorce your wife. So to ask Jesus a question, is it lawful? Basically, they were saying, when does the Bible say you should divorce your wife? Um, That law had been debated in the tradition of the day. The more proper question, the appropriate question would have been, which tradition do you believe about divorce? When they said, what does the law say about divorce? It turned into a bad question because they weren't really asking about the law. They were asking about tradition. They were asking about the difference between culture and spiritual reality. In culture 2,000 years ago, very specifically in Jewish culture, there were two schools of tradition on uh, divorce. One was the very liberal school of a rabbi named Hillel, who said that according to what he understood scripture to say, you could get divorced for any reason at any time from any woman and remarry as often as you want and divorce them and start over if you want it. There was a very conservative school led by a rabbi named Shammai that said you cannot get divorced Um, for any reason, unless basically your wife has an affair and leaves you forever, then you are free to get divorced and remarried. When they came to Jesus saying, is it lawful to get divorced for any and every reason? The answer to that question was not in the law. They were asking, tradition says these two things. Culture says these two things. Which one do you think we should do? Now, the reason the motive of this question was bad is because Jesus had left Galilee He was teaching in an area known as Perea, so it was an area east of the Jordan River, but kind of on a longitudinal parallel um, with, uh, with Jerusalem. This would have been the area not only that John the Baptist was baptizing in, but this would have been the area that John the Baptist probably spoke out against Herod Antipas in, because Herod Antipas had married his brother's wife, and it was not a legal marriage under Jewish law because the divorce and remarriage laws were not right, and because John the Baptist got the answer to that question wrong, when can we get divorced and remarried, and he made King Herod look bad, they cut his head off. So the Pharisees were thinking, if we could get Jesus to sound a little bit like what John the Baptist sounded like here, maybe Herod will take care of our problem for us, just like he did with John, and kill Jesus. So bad question, is it lawful with a bad motive? Maybe King Herod will take care of our problem for us. The second bad question um, was this, why did Moses command us to give our wife a certificate of divorce? The, the trick there in that question would be the word command. Um, Jesus very promptly answered, Moses did not command anyone to get divorced. Moses permitted people to get divorced. 
they had to be referring to a text in Deuteronomy chapter 24. It's the only place the law, the Torah, really mentions divorce. And there, Moses said that a man was permitted to give his wife a certificate of divorce, but that entire text was really to protect the wife that was being divorced, not to give permission to the man to get divorced over and over and over again. He basically said if a man finds something indecent about his wife and he divorces her and she gets married again, and that second husband divorces her. The first husband can't take her back and be her husband again. That would just be like passing around the same woman. That would be like having a, committing adultery. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 24 said. And that was their question. Um, you know, hey, the law says you're permitted to get divorced, but they reframed it and said Moses commanded us to get divorced. So bad question. Why did Moses command? He did not um, with a bad motive. And the motive was, let's get Jesus to say something that sounds a little contrary to culture so that people stop following him. So two bad questions. Um, first bad questions, can we get divorced for any reason and get remarried? The motive was maybe King Herod possibly killed Jesus like he did John the Baptist. So Jesus almost ignored the question. Second bad question, why did Moses command us to get divorced? He didn't. Um, but the motive of that question was to try to get Jesus to lose followers. Jesus said divorce and marriage, unfortunately, are both real things. So let's discuss them a little bit. Jesus gave three answers that would become three very clear statements that created a very real spiritual need. Here's how Jesus, in short order, would answer that, uh, answer these questions. First, uh, God does not intend for marriages to end in divorce. While they do, uh, there's nowhere in Scripture that says God wants people to get divorced. Jesus would help us understand that divorce is a result of sin and remarriage is a result of grace. Both of those things are realities in our world, both divorce caused by sin and wonderful second marriages, third marriages, for some fourth marriages, because God is so gracious. Third, divorce and remarriage under the wrong circumstances leave people outside of the kingdom of God unless Jesus as their Savior invites them in. So we're going to look at these three kind of very clear statements that God doesn't want people to get divorced, but divorce um, is real and remarriage is real. And divorce, according to the law, would leave people outside the kingdom of God, but Jesus invites them in anyway. We're going to look at three kind of things that this text teaches us about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Um, and hopefully this will help you understand this Matthew 19 passage in a way that perhaps you've not understood it before. The first thing we need to understand is you need to understand the power of one in marriage. Let me say it again. You need to understand the power of one in marriage. So in verses four through six, after they asked Jesus, can we get divorced for any and every reason? Jesus goes back to the beginning of Genesis one and two, and he says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. If we were to read it in the original Hebrew language, it might sound like this. In the beginning, God created one man to be with one female. Marriage would be one man marrying one female. 
in an eternal relationship with an eternal God. That is the way marriage was designed. Please understand the power of one. One man is supposed to marry one woman, and together they are supposed to worship one God. Marriage in this way is a picture of the Trinity. Marriage is a is a relationship of three that becomes one. Husband, wife, God, a relationship of three that becomes one. Jesus said you need to understand the picture of one. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul talks about how marriage is a picture of the mystery of the gospel of Jesus. I find it interesting that Ephesians chapter 5 also starts with teaching against sexual immorality. Often you will find in the New Testament that teaching on marriage and sexual immorality comes very close together because often this is where sexual immorality is violated or holy sexuality is accomplished within the bounds of marriage or outside the bounds of marriage. And in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 21 through 33, we read that marriage is the mutual submission of a husband to a wife and the wife to a husband while both are submitting to Jesus. Just like in Genesis chapter one and two, marriage is a man submitted to two, my wife and my God, a wife submitted to two, my husband and my God. It is a relationship of three that becomes a very, very powerful one. So I think it's important to understand before we talk about divorce and remarriage, I think it's important to understand that marriage is the power of three in one. It's a picture of the Trinity and it is a picture of how Jesus loves the church, gave himself for the church, and now willingly submits for the good of the church his life for the church. The husband does that for the wife. The wife does that for the husband. They both do that for Jesus. This mutual surrender and submission, one to two others, three that create the power of one. Secondly, um, I want you to understand not just the power of one, but we need to understand the power of sin in marriage and in broken marriage. We need to understand the power of sin in marriage and in broken marriage. So the question in Matthew chapter 19, not only two bad questions with two bad motives, but it was a setup. It was a total setup. So how do you know this? Because Jesus had already talked about marriage and divorce in Matthew chapter 5. So the Pharisees knew what his answer was going to be, which is why they were trying to set him up. And Matthew chapter 5 is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talked about adultery, and he talked about lust, and he talked about marriage, and he had these things to say. He said, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And that is one of the Ten Commandments. He said, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It's been said that anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. That's Deuteronomy chapter 24. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Matthew 19 was a setup. They already knew Jesus' answer, but watch, they missed Jesus' point. 
They knew how Jesus was going to respond to the question about divorce and remarriage, but they totally missed the point that Jesus was making when it came to adultery, lust, divorce, and remarriage. And the point was this, the greatest threat, please listen, the greatest threat to marriage is not outside me, it's inside me. The greatest threat to marriage is my sin. And what Jesus is trying to teach us in Matthew chapter 5 is that we don't become sinners because we break God's laws. We break God's laws because we are sinners. Let me say it again. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 is teaching us, you don't become a sinner because you break God's law. God's law says don't commit adultery. You, become, you commit adultery, now you're a sinner. No, no, no. You don't become a sinner because you break God's law. You break God's law because you are a sinner. Because what's behind adultery is lust, and lust comes from your heart, not from the law. You sin because you are sinful, not because you break commandments. This is what Romans chapter 3 teaches us in a doctrine throughout church history called total depravity or utter, utter depravity or the, the sinfulness of humanity without Jesus. We read in Romans 3, 10 through 18, that it's written, and then Paul strings together 13 Old Testament Bible verses that talk about the sinfulness that lives in our hearts, not because we break laws, but so that we break laws. As it's written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. The way of peace they don't know. There is no fear of God in their eyes. The Apostle Paul says in Romans, here are the parts of your body, uh, here are the parts of your soul spiritually broken because of sin, your mind, your desires, the direction of your life, the purpose of your life, what you think, say, and do, the things you destroy, your emotional state, the pride you have about how great you are. Let me say that again. Paul says without Jesus, here are the things in your life broken by sin, your mind, your desires, the direction of your life, the purpose of your life, what you think, say, and do, the things you destroy with your actions, the emotional state of your heart, the pride of your life. Without Jesus, all of those things are broken. You are not a sinner because you break the law. You break the law because you sin. Jesus was trying to teach us in Matthew chapter 5 that at the core of adultery, Divorce, marriage, remarriage, and all of the problems is sin that resides inside us. So we realize that we do not break the law because we're sinners, or we're not sinners because we break the law. We break the law because we are sinners. You say, well, what is the purpose of the law then? Great question. Paul would say this in Romans. The law is meant to reveal sin, not produce righteousness. The law was put in place not to give you a standard to keep, but to show you how sinful you are. The law was put in place to reveal your sin, not to produce your righteousness. Listen to how Paul said this in Romans chapter seven. Look at the illustration that he gives us. I think it'll make a lot of sense. Paul says, what shall we say then? Is the law itself sinful? The things God told us to attain to, are they wrong? Certainly not. Nevertheless, Paul says, I would not have known what sin was has it not, had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law hadn't said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. 
For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death for sin. Seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me, and through the commandment, it put me to death. Here's what Paul is trying to say there to summarize this in reverse. Paul, did, Paul said, I did not even know what my heart was feeling until the outcome of my heart's feeling turned into an action called sin. I didn't even know what my heart was feeling was wrong until the outcome of what my heart's feeling was told to me. And I was told that it was sin. And he says, take coveting, for example. I didn't know that my heart coveted things until I was told not to. And then when I tried not to, I couldn't. I always did. And I thought, holy cow, I didn't know how evil my heart was until I was told how good it was supposed to be. And when I realized I couldn't be there, I realized that I had sin and I felt it all the time. The commandments revealed to me that my heart was broken. I had nothing to try to live up to, so I didn't know anything was broken. And then the laws were put in place. And I said, I'll try to do those. And I couldn't. And Paul said, that very thing revealed to me that my heart is broken because I cannot be who God wants me to be. Let me give you a personal illustration. Um, Several years ago, they put in my neighborhood because people had been speeding, um, not only a stop sign, but one of those like blinking lights that would say the speed limit is 25. And then it would say your speed is, and it would show you how fast you were going. My goal every time I saw that was to go a little faster than the last time. Why? because my heart was sinful. I don't know that I'd ever thought about speeding until I was told not to. And when I was told not to, and I got a chance to see how much I did, it just felt enticing to me to try to go faster. Why? Because my heart is sinful. I don't know before that I had even known that there was a standard, but once I knew the standard, not only did I not want to keep the standard, I wanted to break the standard. Paul said, the more God put in front of me what he wanted me to do, the more I realized my heart did not want to do that apart from Jesus. And I realized I was broken by sin. Coveting was not something I understood, Paul said, until I tried not to do it. And when I tried not to do it, I realized I did it all the time. And I thought, man, my heart is broken apart from Jesus. So Jesus says at the core issue of adultery, divorce, infidelity, marriage, remarriage, is a broken heart filled with lust that makes it all about you. And he says at the core, your problem is sin. Your problem is your heart makes you an adulterer and an adulterer needs God's grace. I've talked to some people in our congregation who got divorced for a reason other than marital infidelity and who are now remarried. And they've asked me, Christian, are you telling me that Jesus uh, now forever sees me as an adulterer? And my answer is always yes, but, yes, but, Um, yes, uh, I believe probably Jesus now sees you as an adulterer, but um, not just because you remarried, but because you were born with lust in your heart. See, for me, the most offensive statement in the New Testament about being an adulterer is not that if you get divorced and remarried, but it's not for the right reasons you're an adulterer, but because you're a human and you lust, you're guilty of adultery. Now, that would be a problem if we didn't have Jesus. Adultery would put us outside the kingdom of King Jesus. But because of Jesus and his grace, whether it's lust in our heart or whether it is a misstep or a remarriage in our life, adulterers can be forgiven and are people 
like King David, an adulterer in the kingdom, like the woman we meet in John chapter eight, caught in adultery, forgiven by Jesus and in the kingdom. Um, Adultery is not the sin that cannot be forgiven. Jesus points out a standard that marriage is one and shouldn't break it if you don't have to. And if you do, it might cause you to live outside of God's will. However, because of God's grace, you can still connect to Jesus. So we need to understand, number one, the power of one. We need to understand, number two, the power of sin. But number three, we need to understand the power of grace in divorce and remarriage specifically. In Matthew chapter 19 and in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, there are times when my grace allows you to get divorced and remarried. He says this in Matthew 19, verse 9, Moses permitted divorce because your hearts were hard. And he said, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. There is, according to scripture, grace for divorce. And we say in today's uh, church that it really comes in three areas. There's grace for divorce when there's been unfaithfulness. Um, When your spouse has cheated on you, you don't have to get a divorce. But often when someone has committed adultery and they are unrepentant and unwilling to stop, the only natural result of that marriage is that it's going to end in divorce. So unfaithfulness is one of the biblical reasons that Jesus gives us that people can get divorced. In 1 Corinthians 7, 7, 7, 17, 1 Corinthians 7, 17, we also read that if your spouse deserts you, very specifically because of your faith in Jesus, that you are permitted to get a divorce. And we would say in the church in 2023, capturing what we believe would be the heart of Jesus in the soundness of teaching in our situation, that if you are unsafe in your marriage because you are enduring physical abuse, that would be a reason to separate and continual unrepentant abusive behavior would be a reason to um, separate for safety's sake um, and divorce. So we would say biblically there is grace for divorce if you're in a marriage where there's been unfaithfulness. If you're in a marriage where there's been desertion, if you're in a marriage where there is abuse and you are not safe, um, we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ says you can divorce and remarriage, not divorce for any reason at any time. But those three qualifications, when we meet with people at our church who are trying to figure out whether they should stay married or get a divorce, if they meet those three standards, we let them know divorce is an option, potentially the best option if there's no repentance and no ability to repair what's happened. Outside of those three areas, we really fight for couples to stay together because we believe that's what would honor God. And we believe that the Bible teaches that if not those three areas, you really need to try to work through your issues if you can. So there's grace for divorce, but there's also grace for adultery. Some of you have been divorced because you committed adultery. Some of you have been remarried, not just once, but multiple times because you have committed adultery. And you're asking, am I now outside the kingdom? No, there's grace. There's grace for divorce and there's grace for remarriage. In 1 John 1, 9, um, scripture says out of the mouth of the apostle John, that if we confess our sins, that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all of our 
unrighteousness. Christians are forgiven. Watch this. Christians are forgiven without having to fix their past first. Forgiveness does not equal fixing everything that I did wrong. And some of you are stepping into a relationship with Jesus now after adultery, after divorce, after remarriage. And you're saying, wait a minute, it sounds like Jesus is saying, I got divorced for a bad reason. I got remarried for a bad reason. So like, am I now an adulterer for the rest of my life? Well, according to those standards, you have committed adultery, but according to the gospel of Jesus, you can be forgiven and you can live in grace. We also learn for those of you who say, I got divorced for what I find, what, what I now know is an unbiblical reason. And I got remarried like, do I need to get divorced again and go remarry my first husband or wife? They're remarried. Do they need to get, like, what do we need to do with the mess that we find ourselves in? It's a wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where the Apostle Paul um, is speaking about marriage um, and about people getting saved in situations that are difficult spiritually. And he says, start where you are and move forward. He said, wherever you find Jesus, that's going to be your spiritual starting point. You're not always going to be able to go back and fix your past. Wherever you find Jesus, stay in that situation and begin to move forward. If you're married with a marriage that exemplifies the power of one in Ephesians chapter five and in Genesis chapter two, where one and God and one and God serve the other two in mutual submission their entire life. I serve my wife and God every day of my life. I serve my husband and God every day of my life. Marriage is the power of one, one serving two, a relationship of three committed to one thing. So there's grace for adultery. And then there's grace for a relationship with Jesus. I love how the book of Ephesians defines salvation. It says this, it is by grace that you are saved. Um, it is by grace that God allows us to get divorced when a spouse uh, continues in infidelity. And instead of remaining there, Jesus says, uh, you can start over. It is in grace that God allows us to experience remarriage and starting over because God is good. It is grace that allows us to commit adultery or to be in a marriage that kind of sprang from adultery and to be forgiven and to be cleansed. But more than anything, it is by grace that we are saved through faith in Jesus. And if you're listening to this, or you know someone who needs to listen to this, who's trying to figure out, because my marriage fell apart, can Jesus still accept me? Uh, because I committed adultery, can Jesus still accept me? Because I have been remarried now a couple times, can Jesus still accept me? Because of grace, the answer is yes. It is by grace that you are saved. It is by grace that you are forgiven. It is by grace that you start over. It is by grace that you start where you are and move forward. It is by grace that you are forgiven without having to fix everything that you did wrong first. Does the Bible have hard things to say about divorce and remarriage? Absolutely. Um, does the Bible have hard things to say about God's standard? Absolutely. Does the Bible have hard things to say about us not keeping God's standards? Yes. It says that we're sinners, not because we've broken his standards, but that we break his standards because of the condition of our hearts. But it also says by grace, you're saved, you're forgiven, and you can begin right where you are and start brand new. 
I hope this podcast has been helpful to you today as you've studied this text in Matthew 19. I hope it makes a little more sense. I hope you understand the context a little better. And I hope in your own marriage, in the marriage of your kids, in the marriage of your parents, in the marriage of your friends, in your discipleship in the area of marriage, that you will better understand, be able to apply, and be able to teach the powerful truth of Matthew chapter 19 that we learned today. As always, thank you for listening. If you would go ahead and rate and review on the platform that you're listening to, that would help this message um, and its contents get to more people. If you're watching on YouTube, you might hit that little thumbs up button. Uh, That will help more people maybe looking for what the Bible has to say about divorce and remarriage. um, Find this content. And as always, uh, we hope you'll join us next time, next week, when we drop a podcast on blended families on the Activate podcast, where we work to help you develop a faith that is very practical and very active. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Activate. We would love for you to join us in person for one of our weekly worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at takethejourney.cc. Help us get the word out about this resource. You can do so by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing this episode on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.